The life was full of fear, I was burdened down with him, and that Satan had blind, I could not see. I fought for words and things, made a life for wicked things, till the day the Lord saved me. And I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. Give up on counts, 
got no time for jam. I've just started living. I just started living. I found me a brand new life. It changed my direction and washed away all my strife. I'm a newborn believer. It's a cold and chilling. My load's getting lighter, my way's getting brighter, I've just started living. Don't look at me funny, you're a prophet of doom. I'm not one bit discouraged, and I'm feeling no gloom. Cause I've got that spirit, and it's totally Give up on counting, got no time for doubting. I've just started living. I've just started living. I found me a brand new life. It changed my direction and washed away all my strife. I'm a newborn believer. It's a totally feeling. My load's getting lighter, my way's getting brighter. I just started living. I just started living. I found me a brand new life. It changed my direction and washed away all my strife. I'm a newborn believer. It's a cold feeling. My load's getting lighter, my brain's getting brighter. I've just started living. My load's getting lighter, my way's getting brighter. I've just started living. Everybody to miss the service tonight. I want to say this with confidence in the Lord, that if you miss the service tonight, you're going to miss a service that will change your life life. That is a fact. It's going to happen. The Lord has spoken and he is going to help us do his will. Listen to this. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Praise God. Oh, Lord, we are living close to the time Jesus Christ is going to return. Praise God. And this gospel has got to be preached in every nation. Praise God. Let's just turn that on there, and we're going to show you a little something here to give you an idea of the challenge that is left straight. The challenge that is left for the church. This is a part of the world. This is the northern part of Africa right here. This is the Middle East, and this is most of Asia over here, all this green parts of the map. Now you notice in the top here it says 55 least evangelized countries and the 1040 window. 1040 window is the term that the evangelical Christians are using to designate a particular part of the world. What it means, this black line right here is on the 10th degree longitude above the equator. This line on the top here is the 40th degree longitude above the equator. The 1040 window. Now you know what it means. 
It means all of these countries that are in here. 60 countries in that window, in that area of our world, that piece of geography. Now the unusual part of this is this, that most of the world's population lives in that 1040 window. Along with that fact is this fact. This is the least evangelized part of our world. It's the 1040 window. 60 countries, a total population of more than 3 billion people. 60% of the world's population, but only 27% of missionaries work with more than 60% of the world's population. That's an imbalance. And the result is that this is the least evangelized part of our world. And most of Muslims live here. 22% of the population of people in this area are Muslim. 23% of the people that live here are Hindu. And 5% are Buddhist. Let me give you one more transparency. And we'll get right into the word of the Lord tonight. We'll talk more about this later. This is how the different religions that we have just mentioned are scattered throughout this area. In Northern Africa and the Middle East, it's all Muslim, almost 100% Muslim in this area. Very few Christians, very few uh, Hindus or Buddhists in this part of the world. Then you come over here to the India subcontinent and Nepal and Bhutan and that area, Sri Lanka, and there are most of the Hindus live in that part of the 1040 window. And then the yellow color represents the Buddhists of our world in Southeast Asia and Sri Lanka, which is predominantly Buddhist. This is a target area. We just read a scripture to you that said the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, in every nation, and then shall the end come. Do you realize that what we will do right here in this service today will have a direct effect upon this prophecy that the gospel will be preached in all the world and then Jesus Christ will come. I think it's amazing that you can sit here in one of the most beautiful states of the Union, Maine. I love this state. I'm from New Brunswick, right next door. And we just live in the best part of the world. I can tell you that because I've been around the world many times. This is it, folks. And we can stay right here, enjoy the blessings of God and the liberties that we have and prosperity, and good family church and everything that you need. And you can reach around the world from where you sit. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. Somebody else can go and you can stay home with mama. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to talk more about it tonight, but that is a fact. And uh, we have a great challenge before us. It's imperative. It's absolutely vital that this church increase its vision. Now, I know you've got a vision. I've been around your pastor, and I know he's got a vision, and you have a vision. With all these missionaries you support there in that back wall. That is a wonderful commitment that we haven't reached the world. And time is running out. So something's going to happen. Praise God. And you know what God's doing? God is looking for people that he can bless. That he can use. Praise God. And I believe there's people in here like to be used as God. Praise God. Read with me, if you will, from Matthew. Stand. Let's stand one more time. Matthew chapter 9. Very, very familiar part of the Bible. We've all heard this many times. 
Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to begin reading with verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He was busy. It says all. Teaching in their synagogue. My goodness, he visited other churches. And preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was a powerful gospel too because the Bible says that he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. It'd be good if he'd visit here this morning, wouldn't it? He is here, isn't he? He sure is. Praise God. But when he saw the multitude, verse 36, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers of few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest field. I'm going to preach to you from these scriptures tonight, and my title is God's Greatest Problem. God's got a problem. You ever think about that? I'm not going to ask somebody here's got a problem. And sure, don't express your problem right now. We'd be here the rest of the day. Wouldn't we? Did you ever think so that God's got a problem? We're going to preach about it. Let's praise God and ask Him to minister to us in this service. I thank you, Lord, for the spirit that I feel. I thank you, Lord, that you're here. In your mighty power and presence, you're here. You are so interested in this service, Lord, that you've come down to be with us, and I thank you for it. And I ask you right now that the spirit of this almighty God would come into this place and minister to this people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. God's greatest problem. Well, first of all, I'm going to be real positive. I'm going to tell you what God's problem is not. Right? The Bible says here that Jesus went to all these villages and he preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed the sick. Did you know people liked Jesus? There was something about him that attracted them. One of his problems was that there was so many people around all the time. One time there were so many people they pushed him right into the water. He had to get on a boat and preach to them. You know, people were looking for, uh, the Pharisees and scribes were looking for followers, and then they, they get looking around, nobody was there. They said, oh, I know where everybody is. Everybody's over listening to Jesus. He attracted people. You know why? Because his gospel was powerful, and it met the needs of people. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God. The gospel is powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is nobody who cannot be saved and delivered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is something that is not the problem, and the problem is not the gospel. The gospel that we preach, the gospel that is provided, is a powerful gospel, and it will save every individual that hears it and believes it. Now, if you're not saved, it's because you haven't heard or you've heard and not believed. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. Now, you may be full of weaknesses, but the gospel is tailor-made for you. It'll make up every weakness that you have. God will supply the need according to His riches and glory. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus came in an earthly body, in a fleshly body, so that he would understand. We have a high priest that understands us, and he made a gospel that was made to satisfy the human need. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I like to talk about Jesus. Every chance I get, I talk about Jesus. I sit beside somebody on the plane. I start talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and manifest a good a spirit toward them to try to understand their needs and then try to minister to those needs because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God that saves me sin. That's not the problem. You don't have to be embarrassed about what you believe. Now, there may be some people that will try to intimidate you and make you think that what you believe is inferior to what they believe. But you need a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you will never doubt and you'll never be ashamed. And we may be ashamed of our own abilities. And we may hesitate because of maybe lack of preparation. Or maybe lack of burden or lack of vision or some other lacking in our life. But the gospel is beautiful. It is complete. The scripture says we are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The gospel of Jesus Christ will meet the need of every human. So you can leave here today after service and you can talk to somebody about Jesus and explain the gospel of Christ with full confidence that if they will hear it and if they will believe it, it will do a mighty work in their life. This word of God But as Hebrews said, the word of God is quick, powerful. It means it's alive. <laughs> Anytime that you're feeling a little dull, <laughs> dead, <laughs> discouraged, get out the Bible. Start reading the scripture. Open your heart. You know what happens? Life begins to come. Renewal begins to come. Encouragement begins to come because this book is alive. It is the living Word of God. And when it's in the heart of man or received by man, it immediately begins a work within the heart of man. It was made to do that. You know. That's what it's designed for. So it's quick and it's powerful. a two-edged sword. Piercing. The Word of God pierces right as I preach this morning. Some of you will be smitten by the Word of God. Some of you will be pierced by the Word of God. You'll think that you had a good camouflage, that you had the barrier up, that you, you were not going to be penetrated by God today, that all of your resistance was well in place. But I'm here to tell you that the anointing of God upon the Word of God will pierce every barrier. 
that you can witness with confidence. You don't have to be harsh or cruel or un unfair or unkind, but you can preach the Word of God, teach the Word of God, testify the Word of God with confidence that it's alive and that it's powerful and that it will pierce the heart of man to the dividing of the soul and spirit and the joint of marrow. And this Word is a divine, an understander. He reads your mind. why it's important to be led by the Spirit when you're with him. And you don't know what that person is thinking. You cannot tell what's going on in the heart by the outside. Most of the time, you can't tell. People are, we are all experts to being hypocritical. We don't want people to know how we really feel. And particularly sinners who have, you know, this men who have this martial attitude that it's not right to surrender to God or don't, you know, they don't want to submit to God and don't want to cry or break their own will, you know, they want to be in control. But God knows all about that, and the Word of God can read their mind. The discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Nothing wrong with the Word of God. That's not the problem. The Bible says the Word of God is like a fire. Jeremiah said, the Word of God is like a fire. It'll burn. You've got sin in your life, Get the Word of God out. Anoint it with the Holy Spirit and it'll take care of your sin problem. It'll illuminate it and then it will destroy it. And then the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will give you strength to live above it. Then Jeremiah said the Word of God is like a hammer. A maul hammer. Big one. Heavy one. <laughs> Breaks the rocks to pieces. That's what he said, you know. You may think there's somebody that you know who is absolutely impossible that they'll ever be saved. They are so hard. No, no. No, no. There's no impossibilities in this. You just to keep applying the Word of God. I'm telling you, it's like a hammer and it'll destroy every resistance. So you can go from here with confidence today that this Bible is true. The Word of God is right. The gospel is powerful, and you can share it with love and compassion for people, and it will have its effect. The Bible says it's like the rain. What's going to happen here next month when we start with these April skies? Things are going to start growing. Nobody's going to stop it. We're making them what you want to do. That grass is going to grow, and you're going to have to get out that lawnmower. That's all there is to it. And those weeds are going to grow. And thank God the gardens are going to grow and the flowers are going to bloom. And we'll have a harvest come fall because of the rain. So it is with the Word of God. If we can get the Word of God out there on the fields, it will bring forth a harvest. It's absolutely guaranteed. Thomas said, say that go forth. Not they that say, not they that hide it, not they that are embarrassed, shy about the Word of God, but they that go forth bearing precious seed, the Word of God, shall, what's the next word? Doubtless, it's the next word. I like that. I'm saying to you the problem is not the Word of God. The problem is not the gospel that we preach. The message we preach is right, it's correct, it's powerful, 
it's alive and it's guaranteed. It's certified. They that go forth weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the word of God will accomplish that for which we return. I have confidence in that. Now I'm speaking boldly today, not only because of the anointing of the Spirit that is upon this service, but I speak boldly because of personal experience. I've preached in a lot of countries. I preach to Muslims, I preach to Hindus, I preach to Buddhists, I preach to dead Christians. And you know what happens? They come around. They get saved. The gospel works. That's not the problem. I'll tell you something else that's not the problem. This may come as a little shock to you, but uh, sometimes we need to have a new revelation. No. The problem is not the harvest. I don't believe people when they tell me we can't have revival in our community. Most likely, in most cases, it's because they have been maybe deceived by somebody. Or perhaps they're saying that because they've lost their vision. It may be because they're a long way from God themselves, and they don't really know how powerful he is. And so he, their God, is not big enough to do a work in their community. You know, their gospel is kind of puny. It's not able to save. It's not able to penetrate. And so they say, we can't have revival here. And all the time that they're saying that, or believing that, or thinking that, in the heart of people, right next to this, is an emptiness and a hunger for God. It is a fact. I'll tell you why it's a fact. Because Jesus said it was. Now, you need to submit your thoughts concerning those in your family who you think don't want God, never will be saved. You need to submit those thoughts to Jesus. Because he says the harvest is plenty. They may not reveal their inner feelings to you, but they can hide it from God. And he's right. When he says the harvest is plenty, he's right. He's never wrong. I'm wrong. If I don't agree with him, it's me that's out of step. That's right. The harvest is plenty. I say to you today that right here in Lewiston, Maine, you can have a mighty apostolic revival. I'll tell you why. Because the word of God is powerful. And because there are multitudes in this city that need the Lord Jesus Christ. The harvest is white and ready to harvest. Jesus said, for goodness sake, lift up your eyes. That's terrible. Praise. Stop getting your faith in the mud. Stop looking at your own problems. Stop staring at the devil and get your eyes upon the mighty God in heaven who is able and get your eyes upon the harvest which is white and ready to harvest. The problem is not the harvest. Showed you some maps this morning. I've been there. It is back. The harvest 
means the 1040 window. The harvest in Maine, it wouldn't make any difference. It's white and ready. Ready for what? Ready for you. Ready for Jesus. Ready for the gospel. Living in the time and age when we are nearing the return of Jesus Christ. Biblical prophecy makes it very clear that in that period of time, just prior to the coming and the return of the Lord Jesus, that things are going to happen in this earth that have never happened before. That the entire foundation of the world and everybody in it is going to be shaken. This is God's plan. Don't you be fearful, child of God, when you see these horrible things coming upon this earth. This is God's work. You may attribute it to the devil, and it is the forces of the enemy, but it is in God's plan. And I'll tell you why. It's preparing the heart of billions to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in those last days, prior to his coming, that the conditions of the world would be in such turmoil, there would be wars and rumors of wars and pestilences, and there would be famine, and there would be refugees everywhere all over the world. There would be such mammoth problems in our world that nobody would have the answer and men's hearts would fail them for fear because of looking after those things that are coming upon the earth. And that's the day that we're living in right now. Nobody has the answer. You don't have to look into India to find that problem or into Africa to find that problem. You can look into a home in the beautiful city of Lewiston and find people who don't know how to solve their problem. A harvest that is ready. They're just waiting for somebody to come. They don't know they're waiting for somebody to come. But we know the way to come. Praise God. Jesus said this. When he described the harvest, he said when he looked at the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them. And here's what he saw. He saw a people who were faint. They had fainted. They were weak. They were tired. They were weary. They were under great stress. They were dominated by a foreign power. Vast majority of them were unemployed. You ever think about that? It wasn't good times. It was difficult times. How is it that Jesus could have such multitudes of people all the time everywhere? Because there were many, many people who didn't have a job. And so they spent their time following Jesus. That is a fact. I know what it's like. I've been in the East. You can have, it's not like America. Most cases, you know, where people are tied down to a job all the time. Most people of our world don't have a steady job. That is a fact. 
part-time work. And here they are, following Jesus. But they were faint. They were under stress. They were having great difficulty. It was a suppressed society. There was violence. There was great problems in homes. There was great difficulty. And these were the people that were ready for the reaping. The scripture says. Secondly, the Bible says they were scattered abroad. This is a sign of the time. The Bible depicts them in the last days as a sea roaring. You're not that far from the ocean. I assume most of you have seen a rough sea out here near the coast. That's what the multitudes of the earth look like in the eyes of God. Like stepping on an anthill. People are going everywhere without foundation, without security, without a purpose in life. This is the ripened harvest. This is what the scripture says. And this is a very descriptive expression of our society. People with no roots, no foundation. People who are ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he said, they are a sheep without a shepherd. And the greatest lack in America today and also in Canada and many, many the countries of the world is a lack of leadership. It's in some churches. It's in many city councils. It is in state government. It is certainly is in national government. When the only choice you've got is the choices that we've got, we are in desperate need for leadership. People are scattered abroad. They are sheep without a shepherd. This is the world that we live in. Nobody has the answer in this world. Praise God. So I say to you that the harvest is not the problem. I'm saying to you that there are billions of people in this world if they could only hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it could be presented to them, if they could hear it and understand it, they would believe it. I am convinced of that. I know it is true. The only limitation upon the revival in Pakistan when I ministered there for 10 years was the laborers in the harvest. That was the only limit. The only limit in reaching the 1040 window is this problem that we don't have laborers for the harvest. And this is the problem that God has today. And it is God's huge problem. It is laborers for the harvest. We have the tools. We have the gospel. And there are people that would respond. But the problem is laborers are so you were to look at this congregation today, now I know that this is a revival church, and I know that you have efforts right now to reach into your community. This is all wonderful, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure, I am absolutely confident, even in a church like this, which is maybe, I would think, probably above the average, 
there are the majority of people in this church are not active in the heart. That is a fact. You have received the blessings of the Lord. You have been touched by His power. He has forgiven you of horrendous sins. And He has filled you with the Holy Ghost. And He has given you power with Him. And He has given you blessings in this world. But you refuse to go to the heart. You have all kinds of excuses why you're not involved. This is God's greatest problem. It's always been. Go back to the time of Israel. As an example, and the Bible says it's there for our example, they were delivered by the mighty power of God out of Egypt. They were saved. That was the likeness. That was the type. They were saved from Egypt's bondage, like you are saved from the bondage of your flesh and sin. And they were brought out of there by the miraculous power of God. And then they wouldn't go into the promised land. Until they were in the wilderness. That's where many people are. What is the promised land for us? The psalmist said concerning Jesus, Thou art my beloved son, this day have I begotten thee, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth shall be thy possession. The heathen are the inheritance of Jesus Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. I'm saying to the church today that our promised land is the heathen. I'm saying to you that this has been promised to us. That the church is designed and well able to go up and to take the country and to possess the land from Jordan to the sea or around the world. I'm saying to you that this world is ready for harvest and it is the responsibility of the church to claim the harvest. I believe that. I am convinced of that. But God's problem is this. He has saved us, but we are not of the faith to step forward and to do what He wants us to do. That's God's problem. Give you an example in the Old Testament of Jonah. Everybody knows the famous story of Jonah. Jonah had a message that God called him to deliver. Now, fortunately, our message is not exactly like his. There's an element of the scriptures that are like his message, but there is so much more that makes our message, I would hope, a whole lot more attractive. I have a desire to make it attractive. I know some people who don't make it attractive, but that's all right for them. I don't want to be that way. I would like people to, when they hear the gospel, and see the messenger of the gospel, that there would be some kind of attraction there, you know. They'd be drawn to the Lord if he would be lifted up. And so this, this great prophet resisted God, and, but finally he had the very rough deputation, but eventually he arrived in the land of his calling. And there in Nineveh, he began to preach the words that God gave him. The Bible says Nineveh was an exceeding great city, much bigger than Lewis. The Bible says that the city was so great 
that if you walk, it would take you three days to walk across the city. How far can you walk in a day? 20 miles? 60 miles wide? Big city, right? Exceeding great, the Bible says. Great, big city. And then the scripture says that Jonah traveled one day's journey into the city and began to preach. He got the surprise of his life. Sometimes we really get surprised, don't we, when we see the result of the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised, but then he preached this word of God. And what happened? Immediately, people believed that in 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed. And they begin to repent and turn their backs upon their sins. And word got to the king of the city. And he immediately sent forth a decree that nobody could eat nor drink until there was a turning unto God. For he said it could be pre-adventure that God will look upon our repentance and withhold his wrath and that we could be saved. And it happened just like he thought it would. He had faith in God. And when they turned toward the Lord in repentance, the victory was won and the battle was victorious and they were no longer under the threat of God's The message was right. The harvest was instantly responsive. But what was the problem? The problem was the preacher. The problem was the message deliverer. It was he who God had trouble with getting him to the harvest. I'm convinced today that it's the same thing. I know it is. And God in His mercy and grace, is working on the church. Stirring us up, giving us a fresh revelation of Him, and helping us see that we have a great privilege to take His message to the lost. The same situation was prevalent in the church, the first church. That great apostolic church had a problem with concepts. With vision, they did. The Bible makes it very clear. You know, this great revival that took place in Jerusalem in the second chapter of Acts, and in the few following chapters, was a tremendous revival until all of Jerusalem was filled with the Word of God and thousands of people were converted. But time went on and God's perfect will was not being accomplished. For it was not God's will that this great message of deliverance remain in Jerusalem. And years went by until finally the Bible is very clear on this. That there was persecution that came upon the church. And finally the saints of God were scattered abroad. And the saints of God went everywhere telling everybody about the good things that God had done. But the apostles stayed at Jerusalem. God's problem was getting the message into the heart. What did he do? He called one out of due season. He called one outside the fellowship, if you will. He called one who was a persecutor of the church. 
He called one who others thought it would be impossible for him to be saved. But on the road to Damascus, a bright light shone upon Saul of Tarsus, and he fell upon his face and surrendered his life to Jesus. And Jesus called him, and he became the example for the early church to follow. He was a thorn in their flesh. He would not let them rest, just like this preacher's not letting you rest. I am here today to stir you up and to give you a vision and to give you confidence. God wants His church to be alive and well and progressive and aggressive as we reach into the harvest of the Lord in this last day because the harvest is white and it's ready to harvest and our gospel is powerful and it'll meet the need of every human heart. God's problem is the church. God's problem is you and me. We don't respond very quickly. We are very slow to catch on to what God wants us to do. He's come along and He wants to stir us up and use us and bless us so we can reach the heart. Amen. So what's the answer to the problem? I'm so thankful because of my limited ability that God's Word is plain Scripture says that even a child doesn't have to err in the ways of God because God's ways are spoken. And the answer is right here. And I hate them. Close my message. Pray ye, therefore. The gospel is great. The harvest is white. The labors are few. And what's the answer? Pray ye, therefore. The Lord of the heart to send forth labors in the harvest. Many times our lack of vision of God, revelation of God, and our lack of understanding of the conditions of our society that causes us to understand that they are ready for the harvest, we lack that because of lack of prayer. And that's why leadership in the church like you've got is calling the church to prayer. Because it all begins in prayer. It's in prayer that my will is broken. It is in prayer that I surrender to God. It's in prayer that the things of this earth grow strangely dim and I begin to see the light of His glory and His grace. It is in prayer that I get a revelation of Jesus Christ in His might and in His power. And as I draw close to Him, I begin to see how awesome and how wonderful and how powerful He is and what He could do in the life of sinners if I would only take them the message. It happens in prayer. It is in prayer that we are transformed by the power of God. It is in prayer that our mind is renewed in the Holy Ghost. It is in prayer that we receive a vision of the lost. It's in prayer that we receive the courage and the faith to launch ourselves into the harvest. It happens in prayer. Hallelujah. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith. We shall hear from heaven. And he will heal the land. If we will but pray. Praise God. So let me give you a couple of quick examples and then we will conclude. Jesus, who gave us these verses from which my text was taken, 
had a great loving compassion for the multitude. He was moved. He's still moved today. Greatly moved. The scripture says that this was a burden upon him. You know what happened at, before he went to Calvary. He went to prayer in Golgotha in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, toward the end of his ministry, when he was wanting to prepare his disciples for their ministry to follow him, he went into a mountain and there he prayed all night. And in the morning, he called twelve from his many disciples and set them aside to be his apostles. It was a result of prayer that laborers were chosen and provided for the heart. It was so difficult for God to get the church to break through the barriers that they had placed around themselves in their own concepts and in their own minds they had hedged themselves in until they thought that the gospel of Jesus Christ was only for the Jews. But there was a man in Caesarea. His name was Cornelius. The Bible says he prayed always and he gave alms and his prayers were a memorial that went up to God and in prayer God answered the desire of the heart of a young or a, a, a man from Rome who was a centurion and there as he gave his heart to God he received the vision. The angel of the Lord came unto him and he was fearful but God said he sent to Joppa. I'm working on somebody down there who's going to come and bring me the message. It was in prayer that this happened. Oh, don't stop praying for that lost one. Don't stop praying for yourself. Don't stop praying for your community because God hears and answers prayer. Oh, yes, he does. He'll move on somebody somewhere, and it may be you that he'll move on. Simultaneously, as the messages were sent to God, Peter, the man with a mental block, the man with... Some courage, the man with the keys to the kingdom, but he didn't have the vision of the kingdom. But he was a man of prayer. Thank God for people of prayer. And he prayed at noontime on the roof of his home, and God gave him a vision. Three times, three times he called out to Peter and said, What I have claimed, don't you call unclean. Furthermore, there are three men knocking on your door, answered. You go with them to the house of Cornelius, and you deliver them the message that I gave you many years ago. In prayer, the time. Peter went to the house of Cornelius and began to explain to them the wonderful truth concerning Jesus Christ. And while Peter yet speaks these words, the Spirit fell upon those hungry people, and they were instantly filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It happened because of prayer. The harvest was ready. The gospel was powerful, but the messenger was the one who God had the problem with. But the answer is prayer. And that's why we're emphasizing prayer. That's why we want you to pray today. We want you to pray this afternoon. We want you to pray before the service tonight. We want you to pray tomorrow because God can work on us if we'll but pray and humble ourselves in his presence. The first church to every forth in the is the church at Antioch in the 13th chapter of God. 
The Bible says they waited on the Lord. They ministered to the Lord in prayer and fasting. And the Spirit spoke unto them and said, Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas. I want to send, I have chosen them, I want to send them forth. And when they had laid their hands upon them and prayed, they sent them forth. And the Bible says they were sent forth by the Holy Spirit. It is prayer that brings the move of the Spirit that will send forth labors into the hands. It is prayer and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that will settle down upon you and give you a revelation of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel and motivate you to reach your world with the gospel of Jesus. Let's stand together in his presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I magnify your holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's bow our heads right now, quietly in the presence of God. I am confident today if there is one person in this audience, you've got an emptiness in your heart, there's a longing in your soul that's not satisfied. You feel sometimes that you're out of control. You're not the person you really want to be. I'm saying to you today that there is a gospel of Jesus Christ. If you will surrender your life to Jesus right now in this place, if you call upon his name, he will save you. He will deliver you by his mighty power. He'll give you authority through his name. He will save you from your sin. And I speak to everything that God has placed his hand. Jesus Christ wants you in the heart. Jesus Christ wants you to be involved in taking this glorious message and hope and deliverance the white and steel that are right now ready for you to come. Praise God. We just take a moment here before we're dismissed. Make our surrender to Jesus. Whether it be for salvation or for service. Let's just give ourselves right now the surrender of Jesus Christ. I give myself to you, O Lord. to the Lord this morning. I'll serve you, Lord. I'll go into the harvest. I'll pray. Would you do it this morning? Would you come? I always sing that. Oh, yes. If you're in the house this morning, you want to serve the Lord in some way, would you come? Praise God. 
Would you come? If you're in the house and you want to serve the Lord, would you come right now? Please stop. Let these men lay their hands on you and pray for you this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. Oh, Jesus is here right I want to serve you, Lord. Come away. Find a place for me. I want to serve you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, Lord. Wherever that might be, Lord. I want to do it, Lord. Is this all we have to want to serve the Lord in some way? Some capacity? Some little thing, Lord, that I can help with the soul? Bring the harvest in, Lord. I want to find the harvest. That's right. Praise God. In Jesus' name, let these men lay their hands on you and pray for you this morning. Praise God. We pray for those that have come that want to get involved in the harvest, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. In Jesus' name. Oh, God, help me to find the hungry soul. Let me teach you Bible study. Let me pass out some tracts, Lord. Let me pray like I've never prayed, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus.